and welcome to the 905er podcast. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we've got something a little bit different today. Um, as uh, some of you will have noticed, I was away for a few weeks. And before we went away, um, Joel and I kind of thought about, you know, what could we do to kind of use that experience, I guess. And uh, we thought, you know, I could do a little bit of research into an episode of a kind of a compare and contrast um, things, um, urban things, transit things in uh, Scotland, which is where I was. Uh, with the 905. So uh, what we're going to start off with today is, is, a, is a kind of short essay uh, about, um, about that experience. Um, and then we're going to come back in and discuss some of it and think about, ask some questions about you know, what, it, what it maybe tells us, um, what, it could, what it can uh, usefully illuminate about similar things that are happening in the 905 region right now. Um, so uh, listen up and it'll be, we'll be back afterwards. What you're listening to is the sound of Scotland on a freezing cold January day a few weeks ago. Freezing cold compared to January in Canada, I hear you say, don't be ridiculous. But all I can reply is that for most of the three weeks I spent in Scotland, I felt chilled to the bone in a way I hardly ever do in Canada. And more specifically though, it's the sound of Edinburgh's tram. Some of you may have noticed that I was away for a few weeks. January tends to be a month when I take a business trip back to the UK, specifically Scotland, to attend a conference that's important for my day job in academic publishing. It's also not an opportunity to see family and friends and to revisit a few past haunts from before I emigrated to Canada. Although I grew up in the south of England, just west of London, from 1993 to 2003 I lived in Scotland and it's to Scotland that I owe the basis of my professional existence, podcast notwithstanding. Through a combination of childhood obsession and summer vacations, I ended up spending about 10 years studying and working at St Andrews University at the far and chilliest end of what's known as the East Nook of the Kingdom of Fife. Fife, it should be noted, has not been a kingdom for well over a thousand years, but old habits die hard in that part of the world. During my decade living in Scotland, I lived in various towns and villages in Fife, and also for a while in an ornately gothic gatehouse outside a stately home just on the outskirts of Edinburgh. To say the least, both rural and urban Scotland are just a little bit different from Ontario's 905 region. So why am I inflicting an account of my winter travels on listeners to this podcast? Well, because many of the challenges we face today in the 905 are challenges also faced in other parts of the world. We tend to be, and I say when I say we, we mean all countries around the world, tend to be extraordinarily bad looking at how other places have dealt with issues and using those experience to make better decisions ourselves. One obvious example is the tale, some would say saga or tragedy, of Edinburgh's new tram network. Edinburgh's tram is in fact a light rail transit or LRT system of exactly the kind envisaged for various parts of the 905 region, most notably Hamilton and already completed in Waterloo. Work on Edinburgh's new tram network began in 2007 with the financial support from the then Labour Party-led Scottish Government. Much like LRTs in Ontario, it was controversial from the start with numerous efforts to outright cancel the project. 
in the end it was scaled back significantly after a change in government, with the initial plan for three routes slowly being reduced down to just one, running from Edinburgh Airport in the west into the city centre. Even so, somewhat predictably, the estimated costs for construction had already begun to escalate, reaching over half a billion pounds, or about 900,000 Canadian dollars, by 2008. But that was just the beginning. Contractual disputes, delays due to construction difficulties building in a World Heritage City, as well as opposition from various groups, including cyclists, led to what seemed like perennial delays and cost overruns. Meanwhile, the main western approach into Edinburgh for cars and buses was a continual nightmare of diversions and construction blockages for years on end. But, despite everything, including public and political opposition, funding crises, and eventually a full statutory public inquiry into the cause of the delays and cost overruns that is still running today, Edinburgh's tram, or the first phase of it, was finished and opened in 2014. So what of it today? As a one-time, albeit infrequent, user of Edinburgh's buses, the tram just seems much, much better. A one-way ticket from end-to-end, a journey of about half an hour, will cost you a bit over $2, which seems pretty reasonable. Although be warned, if you go the extra half-mile to Edinburgh Airport, the fee suddenly jumps to about $8. But there's hardly any waiting, with trams leaving about every 15 minutes, and the journey into the city gives you fantastic views of one of Europe's most beautiful streetscapes. And of course, Edinburgh's tram isn't really a tram, a streetcar, in the early 20th century sense of the word at all. The carriages are spacious and comfortable. Before Covid hit, Edinburgh's tram had even started to make profits in 2017, two years ahead of schedule. In the same year, a survey found that tram users had a 99% customer satisfaction rating. It's difficult to imagine that any form of public transit ever getting a mark that high, so it seemed that, as far as the actual users were concerned anyway, Edinburgh's trams were a success. With the second stage of tram construction now going ahead, there is more inconvenience for drivers, and the busy road from the east end of Princess Street down to Leith Docks has been a mess of construction now for a couple of years. I can confirm from personal experience that you don't want to get stuck in the centre of Edinburgh at rush hour at the moment. It took me about 20 minutes just to turn around a corner on the way out of a parking lot. But it's difficult to deny that once an LRT is available, even at the high cost in dollars and inconvenience of construction, the benefits it brings to any city is going to outweigh that short-term pain of construction. For a city like Edinburgh, which was already an economic powerhouse, ironically, the benefits for the city may actually be less obvious than they will be for a city like Hamilton. Edinburgh never had any huge vacant lots in its downtown, but Edinburgh did need to relieve narrow downtown streets that were designed for horses, not SUVs, and to reduce the amount of air pollution. So if you live in a 905 city that has plans for an LRT, get ready for a process that may be difficult. And let's face it, Hamilton's path to an LRT has already had more than its fair share of adventures. But once it's there, it has the potential to fundamentally change the city for the better. Next stop, Haymarket. Change here for onward rail connections.
welcome back. Um, so, uh, Joel, uh, no, yes. what do you reckon of my my what I did on my uh, winter vacation uh, essay? Uh, well, first of all, why did you go to Scotland in the winter time? You normally in the winter time we go to places like Barbados or the Cayman Islands, someplace fun like that. So I think you went in the wrong direction, but I, I understand work uh, and what have you. But um, I, I, I I I find it interesting because I mean years ago I went to to Scotland uh, when I was a, a wee lad. So I have I kind of I kind of understand the the mentality of, or the the vision that you're you're portraying there. Uh, what I find interesting is that the fact that you can, in a city like Edinburgh, which is literally thousands of years old, you know, they can find a way to incorporate modern conveniences, like a, like an LRT, right? You you you, you picture like this. I, I when I think when most of us over here in in the new world, if you will, go back to visit in in our mind, we're thinking of Edinburgh. We're thinking of like a medieval city tight streets you know barely you know barely walk not walkable but just like you you can barely fit yourself across they're just such, such tight tight streets built before the the idea of the automobile and yet they're still able to to do these things like you know an lrt for uh, for the population i think yeah i think that's a really interesting point actually um and it's you know i i'll fully admit to being a bit of an edinburgh edinburgh file edinburgh junkie whatever i just think it's one of the best cities in the world uh, even in winter when it is very cold i mean not as cold as canada <laughs> but somehow still colder i don't know how that's explained but temperature does different things in uh, in scotland <laughs> this time of year um i think it's a fantastic city it's a densely populated city it's got so many good things about it and it's a city that has kept and treasured its past at every stage so you've got buildings literally dating from the early 1500s besides buildings from the 17 and 1800s beside buildings from the 2020s um uh, all kind of cheek by jowl and somehow managing to work together and, and you know this whole story of of light rail of edinburgh's light rail or its tram it is a saga and, and you know you ask anybody about it and I, I spoke to quite a few people about it and they're like oh my god you know it was such a it was a nightmare they were just digging up the roads for years on end they're still di digging up the roads because now they're doing the second phase which is in many ways more difficult than the first phase because um the first phase actually by and large does not use the streets they actually found ways between the houses so to speak so that for about 80%, if not 90% of the journey in from the airport, it's really like a railway and not like a tr what we consider to be a tram. It's not running along streets. Um, it connects with the various railway stations along the uh, same route. And uh, it's only in the last bit as you come into downtown that you're kind of behaving like a tram and running along the road. Phase B is, I think, much more... Um, about running along roads like like we're used to on Spadina in Toronto, mm -hmm. um, and you know as a result, you know that whole end of town is now a, a massive construction site, and uh, yeah. but, so it causes enormous inconvenience, which which certainly has caused you know unpopularity. But but when you get on the thing, okay, so let's, let's talk about that inconvenience because that's the <clears throat> you know we're obviously when we thought about this, we thought we talked like. The comparison between Hamilton and Edinburgh, and the the idea that Hamilton's going to be getting an LRT soon, 
the 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 people against LRT here in Hamilton uh, and in North America is you know, the the inconvenience that the construction is just going to hold up traffic everywhere. It's going to be impossible to get around. It's just going to cause such disruption to 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 build the thing. Phase one in in Edinburgh. Now that it's built, what's the reception to it by the population there? Like, is it just like okay, this is a failed project, tear it up and and let's start over, or is it has a cha- has perception changed? I think um, I think now it's there. Uh, you know, there's a variety of opinions still. Um, however, you know, bums on seats uh, is what the game's about. Uh, and you know, I went in at midday on a Thursday or something like that this year. I mean, I've, I've written it before. It was full. It's busy. It's very well used. Uh, the the uh, the you know they have something like thirty seven uh, sort of units that run on on the network, um, which sounds like a a lot but um you know they're running at you know between 50 and 100 percent capacity um so the system is being used uh from my own point of view i mean why i'm kind of particularly interested in it is that i used to basically live at the end of the line at the the outskirts of edinburgh just beyond edinburgh airport and uh, i can tell you that in my uh, about four years that i lived there I used the bus to get into Edinburgh maybe twice and every other time I drove um, because the bus was just not a whole lot of fun. Um, The tram is just so fundamentally different. It's just a better experience. It's smoother. It's quieter. It's cleaner. Um, You know, you're you're not particularly in these COVID times, you're not sort of feeling quite so cheek by jowl with everybody as as you often do on a, on a double decker bus. Um, and, you know, I feel quite honestly, like if I still lived where I lived back in 1990, I don't know when it was, 1996, seven, something like that, I would use that all the time in preference to the car because it's actually going to be cheaper because by the time you've gone into Edinburgh and parked, parking is not a cheap business in Edinburgh. <clears throat> um, so it, it seems like it's good. I mean, there are still people who will say, you know, I'm still going to drive in. They've just built a massive new multi-story car park in, in the center of Edinburgh, which seems to somewhat go against the whole principle of the thing, but, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's there now. No one's saying dig it up. Uh, I think, if, you know, and the second phase is going ahead. And again, while people are still rolling their eyebrows about costs and inconvenience and all the rest of it, when that's done, that will be a... a fundamentally you know what it is now will be more than doubly kind of effective and then it will be really a way to get right across the key parts of the city rather than just into the shopping areas now the one thing that i thought hang on one sec okay um the one thing you like you, you mentioned in your in your uh essay was how how densely populated Edinburgh Edinburgh is, and it's kind of like they're kind of, they kind of did the opposite. Like the idea in in the nine hundred five, uh, cities like Missagan and and Hamilton, is that we'll bring the LRT and it's going to bring business and population to the areas like along the the stretch of track that's supposed to serve. Whereas it seems to me like they did the opposite. They had they already had the density. Like we need a transit system that's going to serve this population and i find that i find that's an interesting contrast just in terms of like 
the start with the, both the two cities start off in different parts and it seems like they're coming up to the same conclusion. Yeah, I mean, you could make the case that Edinburgh didn't need an LRT, didn't need the tram in the same way that Hamilton does. Edinburgh was already a very successful, financially prosperous city. You know, house prices in Edinburgh are, um, you know, one bedroom, a one bedroom uh, uh, you know, condo, in effect, you know, the equivalent of a condo, a one bedroom, 600,000 pounds, <laughs> um, which is that's a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, uh, and I just want to know. So, uh, you know, and it was expensive back in the days when I was living there and uh, it still is. So, you know, to extent the economic benefits are smaller. And I think mm. it was the, the argument was much more about um, Edinburgh is just not built for cars. Um, it's a nightmare to drive around. Um, uh, and I say that as someone who drove around it a lot and knew the streets kind of like the back of my hand to an extent. Um it's, you know, it's uphill and down dale and little corners and, and inconvenient turning spots. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a chaotic system that revolved over, over a thousand years, as, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, anything that can, can get traffic off the roads and, and uh, clean, up, um, clean up the air downtown, which certainly back in the day, you know, Edinburgh, Edinburgh's um, the much higher use of uh, diesel um, vehicles in in uh, in Europe. Um, you know, the centre of Edinburgh was a very smelly, diesely place back in the uh, back in the past. And uh, I think, you know, there's there's a real sort of air quality argument apart from anything else uh, about yeah. the uh, about the new system. I mean, the the other thing that you were kind of hinting at was that, um, you know, like you you think like in a North American sensibility when you're approaching that kind of density downtown and the fact that oh the all these old streets old roads they were met they were built long before the idea of the internal combustion engine was even a a a concept everything that was always horse-drawn buggy that's what the city was the core was built around and yet what i find interesting is that the city didn't say well okay we just abandoned that part of of the infrastructure right well we can't you know that's that's the way it is. We just kind of have to keep building out, out, out. You know, the newer buildings always have to go on the outside. Whereas you describe it, and my recollection is that it's very much no. We just you use what you got, and you build the city to accommodate what you have. So you have you know greater density, um, and you bring you. It's almost like you bring the stuff to the people, like the the shops and the 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 grocery stores and the the amenities of life. As opposed to yeah. how our North American sensibility is just like, oh, well, we've already used that up. Well, that's that's stupid. Let's just build another neighborhood. Let's build another strip mall, another parking lot on that vacant plot of land over there. And Edinburgh had some of those things to an extent. There's a you know actually just out past the end of the of the new actually on the LRT route is the big mall, which is called the Guile Center. Um, which is, you know, very much an American style uh, mall. But then again, Edinburgh only has one of those and not 10 of those, uh, which a city in North America might have. Um, it never went through that kind of downturn, downturn because no one's going to downtown anymore because, of, uh, because it's too difficult to get to and everybody just goes to the mall instead. It's never had that problem, which, you know, certainly we know in... You know, the history of Burlington is that downtown Burlington used to be a kind of a no-go zone because it was just, you know, it was dead because everybody went to where it was easy to park. Um, so it's not done a lot of the, you know, it's not made those kind of mistakes that we've made here. 
Um, I mean, and I don't want to say it's like the promised land and everything's perfect. Edinburgh's got all kinds of social problems. If you've seen Train Spotting, you can know just a few. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's far from perfect. There's all kinds of there's some really unpleasant uh, uh, housing estates that were built in the 60s. There's been some sprawl. There's still some sprawl going on. Uh, but basically, they do have a green belt, uh, as most cities in uh, the UK do. Uh, that has been in place for a long time, that is not questioned and is not being fundamentally undermined. Um, I, I, and sure, there are not the population pressures either that we have. You know, The population of Scotland is not going up, or, or the UK in general is not going up in the, anything like the same way that the population of Canada or Ontario is. So there's a difference there, but, but it, it is notable. And when I go back to Edinburgh, the boundaries are basically the same. The, 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 the housing estates are basically the same. Um, there's new infrastructure and, and, and you know, moderni- modernization that's gone on, but there's not like 10 new housing estates on the edge of town that weren't there when I, when I left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I say, some of that is because there's just less pressure on population growth. Um, but some of that, I think, is that, people, you know, there's no real, I don't recall an all the time I lived in, in Britain, there being significant call to roll back green belts for instance mm-hmm. like no oh, that's just the way it is you know there's plenty of pressure still from developers to build make no mistake but um certain things are just off limits um so what's so taking that you know that sounds eerily similar to our current plight in ontario where we are in a housing shortage and there's an urgency to build what what are you, what can you take away? What what would your observations in Scotland? Uh, what can we take away from them and bring here to Ontario? I think, I think taking back to the LRT tram debate, I think the first thing I would say is it's going to be painful. Um, it's gonna you know in Hamilton, it's going to be a royal pain in the neck when they're building it. It just is, uh, and that's the you know maybe people may tell you it's not going to be. I would say that's probably not true. It's going to be a pain. Uh, but you know, there's the greater the pain, the, the greater the potential gain. I guess uh, when it's there, it just seems to me, um, you know, comparing then and now in Edinburgh, uh, it seems just like a fantastic addition to the city, uh, and one that can only get better as the network expands. That seems to be very much the experience from other cities in the UK where where tram systems have uh, been brought back as well. I think Manchester is another one. Uh, where their network has really grown um, very fast and without a lot of the controversy that happened in Edinburgh. Um, so it's worth it. Get used, you know, get prepared to an extent for inconvenience, um, but it will be worth it. And to an extent, there's less. The difference is that that so much of downtown Hamilton is not, um, you know, it's not a major tourist destination as as Edinburgh was. You know, the, the, there's going to be less inconvenience in all of ways. Uh, and the other, the other thing, you know, a city that treasures its, its past, that treasures its heritage, the values, things from the past, um, it, it is a beautiful city at the end of the day. You know, I mean, sure, Edinburgh's had got an awful lot of history to go on, whereas, you know, our cities tend not to. But I think when you look at why people are starting to look at a city like Hamilton and say, you know what, I want to live in Hamilton, not Burlington or Mississauga or wherever, it's because Hamilton, for whatever reason, has managed to keep more of its heritage than those places have, or, or had more to start with, or you know, 
the, the kind of North American thing of like, you know, anything that isn't new, knock it down, it's, it's, it's value is gone, I think is, is, is very destructive. And again, you know, sure. Edinburgh is, is basically in the missing middle city of, of Britain in many ways. It's not a huge city, you know, it's, and again, I, I don't want to say that it doesn't have its problems, that there aren't things that, that could be better. But, you know, this is a city that is low to medium rise at most, but there are no high rises, which has among the highest population density of any city in Europe. And sure, that's evolved over hundreds of years. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't actually happen because of urban planning of any kind whatsoever. Um, but when you see it in action, um, it makes for one of the most vibrant, uh, walkable, uh, attractive cities, apart from the weather, uh, on the face of the planet. Well, it sounds like something that a few cities in the 905 could try to aspire to be, um, at least maybe take incorporate a little bit more into their, uh, into their landscape. Um, I'm going to say that's probably a good note to end off this episode as well. Uh, thanks very much for, uh, flying on your own dime to Edinburgh and bring us this, this exclusive, uh, inside scoop if you will happy to, to fly to any cities that people would like me to go to um uh, although not necessarily on my own dime <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks very much everyone i uh, will talk to you on thursday thanks bye-bye That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. 
Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.